Good morning, Lakeside. All right, well, turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. You didn't come here to hear from Jason Drum. You came here to hear from the Lord Jesus. He's worthy of our praise this morning. And uh, <clears throat> Ken said, for those of you who have been around for a number of years, you might have heard the name Jason Drum. First service, I leaned over to my wife and said, yeah, it's the guy who let the air out of your tires. <laughs> it was... Uh, Moved to Walden when I was a teenager, spent some teen years on Lake Conroe, was not a believer, uh, lived five houses down from Ken and Kelly at the time. I was thirsty for a satisfaction that I could not find, and I searched for it in, in everything that might promise satisfaction, uh, drugs, and alcohol, sexual immorality. I regularly got drunk and played the drums at 2 a.m. on Saturday night in my garage, keeping the Ramies awake while Ken needed to preach in the morning. And uh, I think that's probably why the Ramies were praying for me so much, because <clears throat> I couldn't sleep. And uh, though thankfully, the Lord answered their prayers. Um, I, I didn't know the Lord. I needed to hear the gospel. I needed to be told of a Savior who satisfies the deepest longings of the human heart and a Savior who changes thirsty people, transforms them into people who become a source of satisfaction for those thirsty around them in this dark world. And ironically, it was not Ken and Kelly uh, who, they did share the gospel with me, but um, it was really the saints of Lakeside who came alongside me, ministered to me, shared the gospel with me that the Lord used to call me out of the darkness and transfer me into the kingdom of his beloved son, open my eyes to the truth of the gospel. I was Lakeside then who, for years, members of Lakeside who discipled us, uh, members of Lakeside who sent us out to be trained in seminary. Uh, members of Lakeside whose generous giving helped to pay for our seminary education. Um, it's amazing to think what the Lord is doing through this church here in Montgomery, Texas. Uh, I'm convinced that uh, Montgomery in heaven will not be known as the birthplace of the Texas flag. Sorry to tell you. Uh, although that's a good thing to be known for, I think Montgomery in heaven will be known for the incredible gospel work that happens on this campus, uh, and the, the ministry of the gospel that spread not just here in Texas, but to Arizona and Albania and California and uh, many other places across the globe. So grateful for the legacy of faithfulness, the passion for the glory of God far beyond Montgomery, Texas. I was joking with someone that uh, I'm actually just in town as a president of the Lakeside Bible Church fan club to collect more bumper stickers and, and uh, things like that, magnets and whatnot while I'm in town. Uh, well, you're with me already in 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to be looking this morning at verses 14 through 17. And uh, so let me just read that for us and uh, take a look at, at what we're going to talk about this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 14. It says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise 
for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. God, as we come to your word this morning, uh, we recognize, Lord, that uh, you've given us your word and laid a firm foundation for our faith. God, thank you for the Bible. As I unpack uh, these verses this morning, uh, I'm asking that by your Holy Spirit, um, living and moving and working in our hearts, you would awaken the passions of your people all the more. Lord, in a a church that is known for its love for your word, God, cause us to to treasure it, to cherish it, to really appreciate it that much more. Do a mighty work in the hearts of your people this morning, God, that we would be a kind of people who run like the wind to your word, who come to it with hunger, who come to it knowing that here, God, we will be satisfied. God, cause our lives to have a spiritual flavor. This world is hungry. We're all searching for what it is that will satisfy. And Lord, we have the answer. So let our lives have a colossal influence in this dark world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Middle names. Middle names serve many purposes. I don't know if you've thought about this. It feels weird. Your parents had to give you not just a first name, but a middle name too. As if the decision wasn't difficult enough for an expecting mom and dad to try to come up with a name out of all of the options, now we got to come up with a second one to throw there in the middle. Probably most people are never going to know people's middle names, but nonetheless, the purpose of a middle name, maybe its primary purpose, as God meant it, is for your mom to more clearly display her displeasure with you when you don't listen, right? Jason David Drum! Probably one of the other more significant purposes is to allow the parents to bring that much more meaning to the life of their child, to, you know, when, when you choose your kids' names, even their middle names, it's you choose them with intentionality, you, you, like a banner over their life that says, this is what we want for you. So when we named our kids, Sophia, Faith, Drum, Alethea, Grace, Drum, Ethan, David, Drum. They're still young. We're hoping that they will live up to their names, even their middle names. Here we are this morning at Lakeside Bible Church. I get it. I'm a pastor at Canyon Bible Church. Our middle name is Bible. There's a good reason for that. Like a banner over the church that says, this is what we want for you. And as Lakeside approaches its 25th birthday, it's never been more important for us to consider not just our roots, but the path forward. 
That's why we're here in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17 this morning. Look back at these verses again. I want you to notice there's really only one command here. There's only one thing that uh, Paul is telling Timothy he must do. Of course, Paul wrote this letter, 2 Timothy, to his young protege, Pastor Timothy, with instructions. There's only one command in these verses that Paul is commanding Timothy, and that command is, you continue. We're kind of parachuting down into these verses here, but it helps when you get a grasp of what just came before this, right? That's, there's, this is first, 2 Timothy chapter 3. There's been a lot that's happened up till now. Um, but the reason he tells Timothy to continue in or remain in the Bible is because he's contrasting with what he's just said before this. In verse 13, he, he said, evil men and imposters will proceed. They will move on. They will progress from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So evil men will move on, progress. They will advance. They're the same people who in chapter 4, verse 4, Paul is going to say, they will turn away from listening to the truth and they will wander off into myths. And so there's this, this kind of picture that Paul is painting here. You'll notice the contrast here then with a little wordplay. Verse 14 begins, but as for you. There's an emphatic contrast here. Paul actually says literally in the Greek, it says, you, however. It's like Paul is getting up in Timothy's face, putting his finger in his chest. Hey, they're going to continue on. They're going to move on. They're going to progress. They're going to wander off. They're going to turn away. You, however, Timothy, continue in. Continue in the things that you have learned, which is namely the Bible. You see, Timothy was the young pastor at a relatively new church, and they'd gotten off to a great start. Paul knows how easy it is for churches to veer off from where they started because he knows how easy it is for individuals to veer off from where they started. And so he writes to Timothy, Timothy, continue in the Bible. Don't try to get fancy, Tim. Just keep it simple. Continue in the Bible. The main point of the passage is that Timothy is told to hold on to, to continue in, to remain in, to stand firm in the Bible. Don't consider it progress to move on from the Bible as though, okay, well, we got the Bible. We got that pretty well dialed in. We got our theology classes and everything. We got this all lined up. We got the Bible. That's Christianity like ABC. And now let's make some progress. Let's move on to other things. Add something to it. No. The Bible is Christianity A through Z. It's life A through Z. There is no other. A Christianity that moves on from the Bible ceases to be Christianity. This is so simple. I know, you're thinking this morning, like, you went to seminary to learn this? They call that a master's degree, right? Okay. But it's so critical. Because you know, when we search our hearts, if you're anything like me, and I know you are because the Bible tells me so, it is easy for me to wander it's easy for me to move on, to progress. It is the natural state of the human heart to become restless, to move on. And so Paul encourages Timothy, continue in the Bible. 
It is so simple, and yet it's so critical. It's why we need these kinds of reminders. Even Timothy, as a pastor, needed to be reminded to continue in the Bible. You would think if there was anybody that didn't need to be told to continue in the Bible, it would be a pastor. So apparently, we all need to be told to continue in the Bible. I love it that this church is so well-known for doing just this, so faithful at just this. When I met my wife, she was attender, attending a, a not-so-faithful church in Conroe that had moved on from the Bible. And as we started to get to know each other as friends, I invited her to Lakeside, and she told me later that she was thinking, I am not coming to a church for some dude. Like, I'm not going to show up at a church for some guy. And so, the first Sunday that she knew I wasn't going to be here, she came to visit Lakeside just to make it really clear, it wasn't, for my, it wasn't for my sake, you know. The first Sunday she came to visit, and Ken said, turn with me in your Bibles too. And here is the thing, the one thing that convinced her I have to be at this church. It was this sound. Back then, you know, none of us could scroll to. It, was, it wasn't, turn with me, scroll with me in your Bibles to 2 Timothy 3, right? We all actually had a, you know, analog scroll like this. There was some sound to it. And there was a room full of pages turning. And at that moment, Claire was like, I have to be at this church. This is a church that loves the Word of God. They get it here. This is a people committed to the Word of God. People who'd rather have their toes stepped on than their ears tickled. That's been true this church for many years, and it was true for Timothy. So Paul doesn't say, Listen, Timothy, you need to begin to follow the Bible. Paul's admonition to Timothy and to his church is to continue in the Bible. Timothy needed to hear it. His church needed to hear it. We need to hear it. And everything else he says in these verses are really just reasons to continue in the Bible. Paul says, here's the command, continue in the Bible. And now as Paul continues to talk about that, he gives Timothy reasons to continue in the Bible. So we're going to look this morning at four reasons to continue in the Bible. First, the character of your teachers. The character of your teachers is a good reason to continue in the Bible. Look at verse 14. It says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. So first reason Paul gives Timothy to stay on course, depend on the Bible, is to look at the lives of the people who taught him. Well, we have to ask, well, who taught Timothy? Paul says, verse 14, how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. If you just flip back in your Bible just one page probably to uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, look at verse 5. Paul says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Timothy's dad was probably not a believer, totally out of the picture, spiritually speaking at least, but his mom and his grandmother were the kind of believers whose lives gave strong credibility to the truths that they taught. So Paul tells Timothy, Look at the people who taught you, Timothy. Knowing from whom you learned this, continue in the Bible. 
Look at their lives. Let it motivate you to stay on course. And this is a good place for us to stop and think. Who is it that taught us? What is their life like? Maybe for you, it was parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, friends. Think about their lives. This is a reason to have confidence and to continue in the Bible. Now, it's not an infallible reason, right? You get that because people are not perfect like the Bible is. But in so much as a person lives according to what they have learned in this book, their life becomes a credible witness to the reliability of the Bible. And it becomes for each of us a, a motivating influence to continue in the Bible as we remember the people who taught us. I have a frame on my desk in my office. And there's a lot of pictures in my office. I got pictures of my brothers. I got pictures of my family. I got pictures of my kids. I got pictures from my wedding, pictures of my wife. Um, there's a couple of ugly dudes in this frame on my desk. It was a younger version of myself, Ken Ramey and Chris Steyer. And it's there in a frame with some of the other men, pictures of them who have taught me over the years, discipled me. And then there's Hebrews 13, 7, remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God to you and considering the outcome of their conduct, imitate their faith. These men have been an example to me. They have prayed with me, taught me, confronted me. And when I think about their lives, it makes me that much more fired up to live a sold-out life for the spread of the glory of God through the truth of His Word. The life and the character of the people who taught you is not just an example to you of how to live, but also an encouragement to continue in the things that they taught you, namely to continue in the Bible. And that's legit too. I mean, reliable testimony from a person of character is a valid source for confirmation of the truth, right? That's, in fact, that's exactly what is used in a court of law, right? Testimony from reliable witnesses. So Paul says to Timothy, and I say to you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. These people who taught you have staked their very lives on the truths of Scripture. Don't take that lightly. Don't be quick to brush that off. Continue in the Bible. And as you do, this is what's amazing, as you do continue in the Bible, your life too becomes a testimony to the reliability of the Word of God. It puts on display for a world that is hurting and lost and lonely and needy where hope and joy and satisfaction really can be found. And it becomes a testimony to those whom you teach and disciple to continue in the Bible. And that's just part of the reason. We're just getting started. That's the first reason to continue in the Bible is the character of your teachers. Second, the character of the Bible Take a look at verse 15. It says, How from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, 
which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now let's just unpack that one little phrase at a time because there's a lot there. The sacred writings. This term literally here just means holy writings. They're set apart. They're different from anything else you've read. This is the holy book. Now listen, advanced warning. This is a test of the close your Bible system. Don't panic. Close your Bible for a second. All right, you can keep your finger in 2 Timothy 3 because we're going back. Normally, if a pastor says, close your Bible right in the middle of the sermon, that's probably a bad sign because um, you didn't come to hear from me. You came to hear from the Lord. So notice on the spine, it says, holy Bible. That's not just a throwaway phrase. We don't think much about that, but that, those two words, holy Bible, that comes from this verse, the sacred writings. Okay, you can open your Bibles again. It's holy writings because it's distinct, it's separate, set apart, different from anything else. From any other book that you've ever read, this is different for a number of reasons. As you read it, as you study it, as you learn from it, you realize the the Bible has marks of holiness to it that make it self-authenticating. There's something about this book that the more you read it and soak in it, you realize this is from God. This is a holy book. And if you're sitting here this morning thinking, I don't. I don't know about that, man. I've kind of read the Bible and it's pretty confusing. Consider that that might not be the Bible's fault. We have a joke in our family when we were kids and my parents bought us a a Nintendo, like the original Nintendo, and we'd be playing like Tetris or Super Mario Brothers 1. Um, And something would go wrong, right? You'd be like, ah, and you'd throw the controller and be like, ah, the stupid buttons aren't working. And my dad would say, don't blame the equipment. I think that's a good word for us this morning. If you think about the Bible and it seems confusing to you, I would say, don't don't blame the equipment. You need to stop and consider if maybe the reason that you don't see anything when you open the Bible is because of what 2 Corinthians 4.4 says, that Satan is blinding the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. And I would say you need to pray what 2 Corinthians 4.6 says, that God who said let light shine out of darkness would shine into your heart to give you the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. If you don't see the marks of holiness in this book, in the pages of Scripture, you need to pray that God will open your eyes to see it. Sometimes we can be like a a person at a 3D movie without the glasses on. You're like, ah, it just doesn't look right. No, it's all blurry and funky looking. It's like, put on the glasses. Like, whoa, right? We need to pray that God would give us the spirit to put on the glasses so we could see the holiness of God in the pages of Scripture. There's, and there's more. There's more to the character of the Bible. When we think about the character of the Bible as a reason to continue in the Bible, look at verse 15. It goes on to say, the sacred writings which are able, that word powerful, they are powerful to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. 
This is talking about the power of the scripture to save blind, lost, sinful people. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. How does the Bible do that? How is the sacred writings able to make us wise for salvation? Well, because it's the scriptures that teach you the gospel. It's the scriptures that teach you about God and his holiness and the righteous standard that he set that we fail to meet. It's the Bible that teaches us about ourselves, that we're sinful and broken. We're, we're arrogant. We're self-righteous. We need forgiveness. We need to be reconciled to God, our creator. And it's the Bible that teaches us about Christ who came to do that very thing, to live the perfect life that we're failing to live every day, to give us his righteousness and to die on the cross in our place to pay the penalty for our sin so that we could be forgiven. God sets our sin as far as the east is from the west. He puts it behind his back. He says, I'll remember it no more. And that happens because the Bible teaches us to repent, to turn from our sin, to trust in Jesus Christ and the work that he did on the cross for our salvation to believe in his gospel. The Bible teaches us those things. That's why Acts 4.12 says, there is salvation in no one but Jesus, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And there's no other way to learn about Jesus and his gospel than from this book, the scriptures. And that's why God's given it to us. Think about how you got saved. Think about this for a second. Somehow, some way, someone shared the truth of the Bible with you or you read it for yourself. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit opened your eyes to see that it was true and say, yes, that is all true. The truths of the Bible are what made you wise to salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And Paul is telling Timothy, that's a really good reason to just Stick with the Bible. Look at what it did. It made you alive spiritually. Now it will continue to keep you alive spiritually. As you saturate your life in Scripture, as you behold the glory of God, you are transformed into the image of Christ. You became a Christian by hearing the Word of God by faith. Then why would you live your life in any other way than hearing the Word of God with faith? Why would you move on to something else now. Let me ask you, are you saturating your life with the Bible? We like to call it Bible intake. What do I got to do to get that goodness in me? Right? Bible study, Bible reading, Bible memorization, Bible meditation, listening to sermons and podcasts and going to Bible studies and fellowshipping together with other people who know the Bible better than you, being discipled, and all of those things as means by which we get more Bible in so that the Spirit can use the sword of the Spirit, namely the Word of God, to transform us as we behold the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus and are transformed from one degree of glory to another. We're made to be more like Christ as we see who He is in the pages of Scripture as a friend to other people, are you continuing in the Bible? 
Think about this for a second. You might not consider yourself a counselor, but as a human on earth, you are, because you interact with other humans on earth, and we all got problems. We got issues, y'all. And every time someone says to you, man, I need you to pray for me because I'm going through this, whatever comes out of your mouth next is some form of counsel. You're giving them advice. You're doing something. You're saying something to them. And that is a form of counsel. So it's not a question of whether you're a counselor or not. It's just a question of whether you're a good counselor or a bad counselor. So don't tell them what you think. We should be really careful about telling people what we think about their life situation. Tell them what God thinks. Give them what God says. If he's really given us everything we need for life and godliness through the true knowledge of his son, then whatever your friend is going through, the answers are right here. Everything that they need is right here. Speak truth to them. So when you say to someone, anytime you say to someone, you catch yourself, these words coming out of your mouth, hey, you know what you ought to do? Be really careful about what comes next. Don't give them your advice. Continue in the Bible. Give them God's advice. God saved you by hearing with the word with faith, and that is exactly how he will sanctify you too. So stay on course. Continue in the Bible. There's great rewards to stay on course and continue in the Bible, and there are great dangers when we veer off course. It reminds me of the Costa Concordia. I don't know if you're familiar with the Costa Concordia. It's a Mediterranean cruise ship, or it was. Uh, you can Google it later. Don't do that now. It's rude to Google things in church. Uh, but later, Google Costa Concordia and see what pictures come up, okay? Uh, and here's why. The, the Costa Concordia was beginning its voyage, and there were some people off to the side on land, and there's people waving, and there's people up on the, the dock of the, or up on the boat who are waving to them. And they're waving back and forth to each other, and this, the captain sees this and is like, I have a good idea. Wouldn't it be great if we get the boat closer to the people on shore? They can all see one another's smiling faces as they wave to one another. And the people on shore can see how great our cruise ship is. Maybe they'll take a cruise with us too. So the captain's got a great idea, right? Except, isn't it like Captain Boating 101 that you don't go off course? Like, isn't that just like something that they teach you in like captaining school? Right? Like, don't go off course. I think like all of us are a better captain than that guy because we just know like page one of like the captain's instruction manual is like stay on course. Don't go off course. Don't make things up. Don't come up with cool ideas. Just all you got to do is get the boat from point A to point B and here's the course and you just stay on it and that's it. That's all you have to do. Well, he thought I have a great idea. And he got a little closer. And of course, you know what happened. If you Google Costa Concordia after church, you'll find many pictures of a very large cruise ship doing something ships are not supposed to do, which is floating in the water upside down. Because he, cram he like crammed his boat into a large rock underwater and it sunk. And so the Costa Concordia is a reminder to us because there's so many times in our lives that we think, I have a good idea. We have to ask ourselves, all right now, 
is it really a good idea? Stay on course. Let's make sure our ideas about what we should do in our life, in our parenting, in our marriage, in our counsel to others, in our Bible studies, in our ministries, in our teaching, let's make sure that our ideas align with God's ideas. Let's stay on course and continue in the Bible. This is why the Bible is so critical for us, to stay on course and to continue in the scriptures that taught us how to be saved. We're looking at four reasons to continue in the Bible. First, the character of their teachers. Second, the character of the Bible itself. We've just looked at And now, let's look third at the character of its source. Look at verse 16 says, All Scripture is inspired by God. Now, this is not inspired by God in the same way that you might be inspired to write a poem about the sunset over Lake Conroe. This word inspired is literally in the Greek, theonoustos, God-breathed. It's a compound word that Paul just kind of invented for this verse. And the whole point is, all Scripture is God-breathed. In fact, that's literally how the ESV translates it. All Scripture is breathed out by God. The source of the Bible, the person it comes from, is God himself. There's no better reason to continue in the Bible than that right there. It's amazing. It is as plain and obvious as it gets when we think about this. It doesn't even need any like deep exegesis or some profound explanation. People always want to know where the Bible came from. Well, here's the plain and obvious answer. The Bible is God-breathed. God wrote this book for us. Maybe you ask yourself, how does that work? I thought Paul wrote this letter, but now you're saying it's God wrote it. How does that work? Well, Paul approaches this topic with a focus on the book itself in this verse. Peter addresses the same topic in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Um, Peter says, listen to this, he's got his focus on the people and the process. So here, Paul's talking about the book itself. The book is God-breathed. Peter describes the same thing happening, the inspiration of Scripture, with his eyes on the people and the process. And he says, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. This is 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21. We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's how Peter describes it in 2 Peter 1. The amazing thing is, Peter had just talked about how he saw Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. He had this incredible experience with the Lord. And right after that, he says, but we have the the prophetic word more fully confirmed. In other words, it's not wrong to have a wonderful experience with God, but something that's even more sure than that is having the Bible, having God speak 
clearly to us. It is so profound and precious that this is why we don't, we don't pursue experiences with God. We pursue God in the Bible. It's what he's given it to us for. The fact that God breathed the scriptures for us is the primary reason to continue in the Bible. God is holy, so his book is the Holy Bible. God never makes a mistake, so his book contains no mistakes. God is perfect, so his words to us are perfect. There are no errors in the Bible. And I defy any skeptic who says, oh, the Bible is full of mistakes. I defy them to put their money where their mouth is and show me one error in the Bible. There are none. It has stood the test of time for over 2,000 years. This book, for that reason alone, determines my life and my convictions. To turn to any other source, especially my own opinion about how to live my life, is miserable self-destruction. Why would I trust what I think about how to live my life when God himself has told me how everything works. So Paul is telling Timothy, one of the reasons we can trust the Bible is because of the character of its source. This book came from God. It wasn't written by a bunch of religious guys a few thousand years ago that don't understand our world This book was breathed out by the God who made our world, the God who was and is and is to come. Where something comes from, its source, makes a difference. We discovered this as a family shortly after Lakeside sent us out to seminary in the miserable city of Los Angeles. Los Angeles has many things to offer, Coffee shops is one of them. There are some great people there. But it also offers things like traffic. Uh, One of the things we really enjoyed about Los Angeles was the beaches. But you got to figure out how to do beaches in Los Angeles first. See, the first thing we did was like look on a map and say, all right, well, we're living in North Hollywood. Where's the closest beach to us? Well, it looks like Santa Monica. Let's go to Santa Monica. So we took our family to the beach, and we had a wonderful day swimming in the waters of Santa Monica and discovered that afternoon when we were all miserably ill. You're not supposed to swim in the water in Santa Monica because Santa Monica is where all of the storm drains from the entire Los Angeles basin drain out into the ocean. So basically, like, you wash L.A. with some rain, and it all comes down, like the dirty water all comes down into Santa Monica and the ocean there, and so that's what you're swimming in, and um, that's not really good for you. So we discovered you actually have to just drive further and, like, escape town to go to a beach that actually has, like, real water in it, not just sewage. Um, So let me ask you. I'm going to get you a glass of water. Would you rather have water from a fresh mountain spring or some nice warm runoff from Santa Monica? As the servant-minded friend that I am, I'd love to get you a glass of water. Which would you prefer, right? See, the source of the water, both are glasses of water, but the source of the water makes a big difference, doesn't it? See, I want water that came from a reliable source, And how much more important is it as we think about the decisions that we have to make in life? 
how we set our priorities, how we determine the trajectory of our lives, how much more important is it for the source of those decisions to come from someone or something reliable? Friends, the source of the Bible is God himself. There's no better place for us to build our lives than on the truths of Scripture. Four reasons to continue in the Bible this morning from 2 Timothy Chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. First, the character of your teachers. Second, the character of the Bible. Third, the character of its source. And fourth, and finally, the character of its effects. And we're just walking through these verses this morning. I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but these are good for us to be stirred up by way of reminder. The character of its effects is a good reason for us to continue in the Bible day in and day out. Look at verses 16 and 17. All scripture is inspired by God, profitable for teaching or doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. See, God didn't write this book so we could read it and say, well, that's a nice collection of stories. Whatever, whenever someone writes a book, an author has a purpose for their book. They have a reason that they wrote it. They want it to have some effect on you. People don't just write books and then never let anyone read it. If they really want it to affect, if they really wrote this book with a purpose, they want it to affect people. They want it to have some result in your life. And so when the creator of the universe writes a book, what's it good for? What is its purpose? What did he do this for? Well, this verse says, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable. This word profitable just means it's useful to us. We gain from it. We benefit and get something good out of it. What is it profitable for? What are the effects of the Bible? It says it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. There's four things there, four benefits or effects of the Bible, four things that it's profitable for. Maybe you can hear the progression there as you see those words. Teaching or doctrine is what is right. What is right? What is true? Doctrine is the, the teachings of Scripture that help us see Truth from error. It, it helps us see the world as God sees it. It teaches us what is right to have a, we would say, a biblical worldview, to have guidance and direction for our lives that is not mistaken or founded upon error. The Bible teaches us what is right. It's also profitable for reproof. That's what is wrong. This word reproof means rebuke for wrong behavior or wrong belief. This refers to the Bible's ability to expose things in our lives that are wrong. Third, correction. This is how to get right. So it teaches us what's right, teaches us when we're wrong, and now it also corrects us and teaches us how to get right again when we're wrong. This word refers to getting something back on track, headed back in the right direction. So after Scripture shows us where we're wrong, it then shows us how to get right. Finally, it shows us, gives us, it's profitable for training in righteousness. This is how to stay right. So it shows us what's right. It shows us when we're wrong. When we're wrong, it shows us how to get right. 
And then it shows us how to stay right. This is positive training in, in good living, not just rebuke and correction of wrong behavior. The Bible shows us what's right, that's teaching. It tells us when we're wrong, that's reproof. It tells us how to get right, that's correction. It tells us how to stay right, that's training in righteousness. Look at the end of verse 17. Why all of these things? It says all of this, so that, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Man, what an encouragement that is. If you really think about this, I don't know if you're anything like me. I don't always feel ready for what's coming down the pike of life. I don't always feel ready for what's around the next corner. I worry about what's coming sometimes. I worry if I'm going to know what to do or how to handle it. But man, this verse is such an encouragement. Listen to how gracious God is. He's given us a book that allows us to be ready for everything that is coming. Whatever this life throws at you, you can be ready. Whatever trials come, whatever you are facing, whatever's around the next corner, you can be ready. Whatever ministry opportunities God gives you that you might think, I don't know if I'm ready for that. God has given you everything you need to get ready in the Bible in order that you may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Ephesians 2 tells us that God has laid our good works out for us beforehand. He knows what they're all going to be, and he's given us everything we need for him in the Bible. So why would we turn away from this book? It boils down to this. If you want to be a Christian, grow as a Christian, help other Christians, you do it through reading, knowing, and living out the Word of God and really not much else, just continuing in the Bible because this is the Word of God. He breathed it out for us himself so that we would know when Ezekiel cried out to dry bones, they really did come alive. And when someone cried out the truths of the Bible to make you wise for salvation to my dead heart, I came alive. And when we take these same words out into a dark world and speak truth from God to dead people, they come alive spiritually. This is the word of God, breathed out by God. Lakeside Bible Church, let's live up to our middle name and continue in it. Father, thank you for your word. You have given us a firm foundation. Help us, God, to continue to build on it, build our lives on it. God, may our parenting and our marriages and our ministries and our lives and our careers and our churches be built on the foundation of your word. It is so precious to us, God, because you are. I pray for the saints at Lakeside, so faithful for so many years to continue in the Bible. Lord, let them excel still more. I pray for the pastors at Lakeside as they equip the saints to do the work of the ministry in one another's lives. God, would you satisfy the pastors of Lakeside with your loving kindness every day as they open up this book and simply saturate their lives in it. Reveal yourself to them. Cause your grace to shine upon them and give them peace. God, if we're gonna live up to our middle name, we have to continue in the Bible. 
So thank you for reminders like this. And thank you, God, that this is your will for our lives and that you will help us every step of the way. God, we praise you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.